Hey, and welcome to the CCWC podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to be part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. Well, it doesn't take long when you read Scripture to recognize that Christ had some pretty unconventional conversations and interactions with people in many different ways. Last week we talked about Nicodemus and how he met with him at night in secret so no one else would be around. But there's other instances where Jesus interacted with people that are maybe called to question or don't fully make sense, like the the man who was filled with a legion of demons and how he talked to him, cast the demons out, they went into pigs, and then the pigs all uh, ran to their death. There's also the interaction where Jesus comes upon a man who was blind, and the man who was blind asks for healing, and Jesus basically says, okay, sure, let me just spit in your eyes, and you'll receive sight again, and after a couple of tries, it does end up working. Or even when he interacted with one of his own disciples, and he was interacting with Peter, and Peter was sharing this thought with him, this thought on uh, the, the fact that Christ should look at himself in superiority, And he basically told him, look, Satan, get behind me. As I read through scripture and see the interactions that Jesus had, I can't help but recognize the fact that in so many cases, in so many instances, he could have grabbed the reins of superiority, grabbed the reins of being the king of all and saying, okay, I don't care about this plan for humility, this plan for others to experience forgiveness and grace and mercy. Instead, I myself am going to take the reins of the throne and show everybody how powerful I am. And in what took place, what actually happened, was Jesus took the position, the posturing of a servant, and literally and many times figuratively knelt before others, washing their feet, expressing love, compassion, and a desire for them to experience his goodness and his presence. Today we continue this series on giving up, and we look predominantly at the example of Jesus, this reflection of Jesus and the teaching of Jesus that centers around us as his church, his bride, giving up the superiority that we think we should have. I'm going to embrace a passage today that actually uh, Chad Helmer, the, the leader of crew in our area, spoke on a few weeks ago. And the passage centers around this interaction Jesus has, an unconventional conversation with a woman who was a Samaritan. And in this specific passage, she's at the well and she's drawing water. And it's a specific time of day that would have been not normal for people to be at the well. In fact, it was the middle of the day. It was warm out. It was really hot. And that's not when people would usually go. She went there at that time because she was trying to avoid being inter- avoid interacting with anybody and being judged by those that might have been there at the beginning of the day or at the end of the day when it was cooler. And Jesus, having traveled or planning to travel from one place to another, instead of going around this area, recognized that there was opportunity, but also recognized kind of a shortcut to pass through the unclean or, or, or really the, the not so great area at that time of Samaria. And so as he went through this place, and obviously he got to a place where as he traveled, he got thirsty. He decided he was going to stop at this well. And in the so doing, the disciples, they kind of carted off. They left and they went to get some provisions. And Jesus was stuck or left there at the well with this woman. 
And instead of passing the time by just drawing water or waiting for her to be done, he, he basically recognized the opportunity, seeing that he didn't have anything to draw water with, and she did. He d- decided to embrace the conversation and bring forth an opportunity to once again put superiority on the shelf and to come down to or stoop down to her level, as it would have been seen in that historical context. For she was, number one, a woman, and number two, in that time, she was a Samaritan, which was considered somebody who was lesser, or even less than human, to the Jewish people. And so at that moment in time, Jesus was saying, just in interacting with her, that I see you in your plight, in your darkness, and I reach out. I care. I love you. But perhaps what's even more unconditional or puzzling is the, the, the conversation, the interaction that takes place after this interaction. For Jesus tells her all these things. He, he provides to her the truth. He reveals to her who he is and what he's come to do. And after all of this interaction, all these things that took place, the disciples, they return. And the disciples, you know, I, I, I don't know what's going to happen when we get to heaven. I don't know if, if like, God's going to line us all up and let the disciples, like, throw rocks at us. Because we tend to do that from time to time, or I do when you read about it. It's like, what were they thinking? How could they... Well, I'm going to do that a little bit today. I'm just going to, I'm going to admit it to begin with. But in in John chapter 4, verse 27 through, uh, actually starting in verse 27 through 38, we see this interaction specifically that Jesus has with the disciples after he does this terrible act of interacting with this woman who was said to be unclean or not even good enough to interact with any Jewish person, let alone a rabbi or Jesus. Verse 27, it reads like this. It's not going to be on the screen, so if you didn't bring your Bible, you have to take my word for it. It says, Just then the disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman, but no one asked, What do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? Jesus, I'm sure hearing this, he said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus, the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the work, and you have reaped the benefit of their labor. And here we see kind of this cryptic talk between Jesus and his disciples as he embraces this questioning that they have, not just questioning verbally, but questioning of their hearts. And he brings forth this fruition of the plan of salvation to which he wants them to recognize, this woman to recognize, all that are coming out of the town to listen to recognize, and the readers, which includes us to recognize as well. I did make a joke about not having your Bible today. I will say this, if you don't have a Bible, and you want one, 
We always have those available for you as a gift for you. You can have it today. They're at the information center. Even now, if you want one, you raise your hand. I'm sure one of the ushers could bring you one as well. But here's the reality. The, this is the outworking of God's great plan of salvation. He reveals an, uh, basically and only a way that God can these three specific parts. And the first one is the plan. He reveals this plan that he has for the world. The plan that he has for the world that you and I know today. Imagine with me for, for just a moment a perfect world. A perfect world even getting up today. So you get up today and guess what? Your breath smells good right out of bed. You get up today and your hair looks great. You get up today, your outfit is already picked out. In fact, in God's creation, there is no need for an outfit. I'll just throw that out there. You get up today and, and, and everything is set. It's ready. You are well rested. The time change thing doesn't even matter to you. You have no aches and pains as you get out of bed. Your breakfast is ready. In fact, it's fruit. It's, it's there. It's, it's delicious for you to have. And let me just mention this. You live in perfect harmony with the creator of the world. I mean, a, a perfect world was created, but as we know it, that's not how everything works. In fact, that's not how the world works now because of the entrance of sin. Isaiah 59, 2 reads like this, but your sinful acts have alienated you from God. So not only has it created the aches and pains, the opportunity for us to have to, to go through some of the difficulties of life, but it's created this divide between us and the God who created us. And your sins have caused him, this is what Isaiah 5, 2, have caused him to reject you and not to listen to you. Get this, we have sinned. And while we can look back at Adam and Eve and say, how could you do that? Can I just say uh, they can do it just the same way that we have done it? We've missed the mark. We've fallen short of God's glory. And the reality is spiritual death. The reality is that we, our sentence in, in our life and in our afterlife is death. And sadly, what happens is many of us find ourselves in this cycle of just continuing to perpetuate the same thing over and over and over again. What I mean by that is either the same sin or the same thought process or the same means of trying to, to figure things out or to earn our way through. When I, when I was younger, I used to have several different aquariums. And it's funny that I actually had a conversation with this about, about this with somebody yesterday. And I had this thing called a water dog. And I don't know much about them. I, I remember going to the pet store and getting this water dog. And it was basically like a long eel type thing with two small arms in the front. And at some point, I think it was supposed to turn into more of a, of a lizard, but it never really did that. And what I noticed about this water dog is it had one of the most bleak existences I've ever seen out of any animal or creature ever. It would live in like a little cave down in the bottom of the aquarium. And I would put food in once or twice a day. It would come out, it would eat the food, it would go back in the cave. And it almost made me sad to think about that's the only thing it has to look forward to every day is to come get this food that's only going to sustain it for a little while and it's going to go right back in its hole and it's going to live right back in the darkness once again. But it makes me even sadder to think about the person and even the person who is a follower of Jesus, the person who understands Jesus to have that same existence, to have these small little morsels here and there. They may come and it brightens their day for just a moment and they go right back into the same hole, the same cycle of sin, the same terrible thought process, the same place where they forfeit what God would give them, a life and a life eternal so that they might just go back into this place, this cycle, this darkness once again. 
The saddest part is just this cycle of existence that says sin reigns supreme in me rather than God gives me glory, brings forth opportunity for me to shine, to know him, to grow in him. But there is hope. Romans 5, 8 reads like this. But God demonstrates his love for us. He doesn't just say it, but he does it. He demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And why is it important? Because Christ is God and therefore as the perfect sacrifice, he becomes that one sacrifice for all. Christ died so that you and I could live the atoning or compensating sacrifice, the sacrifice that was needed so that you and I, the sins that we have in our life, so that you and I don't have to live in that small cave, in that darkness where we only come out from time to time to maybe see if the light is still there and then go right back in again kind of explain the issue to the plan because there was a specific plan, but the issue is interesting. Jesus brings it up a couple of times here just by allowing his disciples to engage. In verse 27, it reads like this once again, just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman, but no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Jesus's behavior and methods in this case and perhaps in life you've recognized can sometimes seem bizarre. You might look at it and say, God, why would you ever call me to do this? God, why would you ever bring forth this opportunity? God, why would you let this thing happen to me? You see, the, the disciples at that time, they lived out of a sense of knowing. In the last couple of weeks, we talked a little bit about Jewish law and the fact that the Pharisees, specifically last week, we talked about the Pharisees. They knew all the rules. And these good Jewish people that, that were following Jesus, these disciples, many of them would have known the rules. They would have known what to do and how to do it. And so when Jesus kind of steps out of line or gets out of his lane, they're like, what are you doing here? And they begin to question. They begin to wonder. Also in verse 27, the disciples didn't ask the questions that they, they wanted the answers to. They didn't ask the questions of God himself. So act and we, we act like we know more than God. And we have this specific understanding that maybe we make the decisions before we go to God. We, make the, 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 we do the things before we go to God because we think we know what's going to happen. And we know what happens. Temptation wins. We act out of self. We act out of our own fleshly understanding, our own fleshly desires. You skip down to verse 33. It's another interaction with the disciples. This is, can I just say this? And, and I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings because I'm part of this too. But this is the most churchy verse I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> this is the most church person verse ever. So here's how it goes. Verse 33. And you're going to look at me like, what? how's that even possible? Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? Can I just say, okay, so the disciples are there. They're with Jesus. Jesus is right there. Jesus is in their midst. They could reach out and touch him. And instead of saying, Jesus, did somebody bring you food? They go, hey, hey did somebody bring Jesus food? Did somebody, did anybody else see Jesus bring food? Hey, hey, and there's this murmuring starts over here, right? And all the church people don't laugh because, right? <laughs> instead of asking the person right there, the, the question they have, they kind of all, hey, let's kind of, let's try and come up with our own response. Let's figure out what actually happened here. Maybe he had food with him. Instead of actually going to the source, The murmuring started amongst each one of them. And at that point, specifically, what stands in the way is that superiority. These disciples thought they knew exactly 
what the answer was. They thought they knew exactly how to live. They thought they knew exactly what the next step was. And in essence, what took place in this instance is, is they missed the point entirely. You know, I think sometimes spiritually we find ourselves in a place where we, we, we miss the point of engaging with God. We miss the point even as the church of engaging with one another within the bride. God's given us the opportunity of unity. He's given us the gift of speech and thought and, and, and free will and all these embrace. But many times what happens, we begin to murmur. We begin to do these other things behind the scenes. We, we find ourselves in a place where we have this victim mentality, which means that we're the one that everybody's always trying to attack. Or we find ourselves in a place where, where we think we're in a position of spiritual maturity when in essence it's the opposite or, or we have this selfish ambition or, or a personal agenda or maybe an unconfessed sin or, or a sense of knowing better than God knows. And this superiority thing is quite an issue and Jesus knew that. That's why he didn't express it. That's why he didn't live it. But thank God that this isn't all new to God. Thank God that he's not caught by surprise when the disciples begin to murmur the same way that we even do 2,023 years later. Because he brought a remedy. He brought a remedy, which is the third part right here. And Jesus was already starting to bring that truth out. And it reads and understands like this. God's plan is seen through this interaction with the Samaritan woman at the well. <clears throat> Jesus tells the woman that he is the living water, the source of eternal life. It's his mission on earth to come as God, to become as a man, but also as God, to be that one source for water. He brought redemption to the whole world through his atoning work on the cross, and it's through the work alone, that one action alone. No, no Jesus plus, no Jesus plus this thing, Jesus plus that. No, that one action alone we can be God's children and come to him. And it's only through partaking in Christ, the bread of life, that anyone can come the true knowledge of who God is and relationship with him. That's a wow moment. That's a wow understanding. That, that's a, a, a wow, a blow your mind moment. I'm going to ask this rhetorically, but I want you to think for just a moment. When was the last time you were wowed by God? When was the last time God did something and you were just like, wow, how on earth? I never would have dreamed. I never could have thought. I never would have planned. How did he redeem it? How did he bring this, this to fruition? How on earth? Why on earth? What in the world? God, you're amazing. Can I just say, if you're living in a prospect, if you're living in a position, if you're living in a place of superiority, it's hard to be wowed by God. Because you find yourself to be higher than him. You almost normalize the works of God and therefore you believe he is lower than you. Whether through an intentional action or intentional word or perhaps just a position that you have. So when was the last time you were wowed by God? Luke 11 verses, or 7 verses 11 through 16 reads like this. Soon afterwards, now Jesus had, had just done some miracles. And soon afterwards, Jesus went to a town called Nain. And his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out. And the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. There's a lot of magnitude in that, and this could be another sermon for another day. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. 
Then he went up and he touched the table where they were carrying him, that they were carrying him on, and the bearers stood still. He said, now there's a dead man laying on the table. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. He brought life from a place that was dead. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. And then verse 16, the first part, verse 16a reads like this. They were all filled with awe and praised God. Can I just say, God is doing this kind of work all the time. God is bringing a place of spiritual death to spiritual life all the time. And it never gets old. I've heard people say before, well, my testimony, I wasn't delivered from, from all these things, all this bad stuff. God just saved me. What? God just saved me? God brought life to a place where there was death. There was nothing. He brought you to a place of light where you don't have to live down in the, in, the, in the tunnel or down in the cave anymore. But now you are living in light in the presence of a holy God. Do you want to, how, do you want to know how to become fully filled with awe and praise of God? If you do, the, the, the reality is this. You have to give your all. You have to give every part of you towards him. You have to give up superiority in your life and say, God, it's all for you. This is yours. We're going to have a time of response. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up. We're going to have a time of response. And as we move into this moment, I want to share a, just a quick illustration of what it means to come to Christ. Because I think sometimes we sit in the room too and we think to ourselves, well, I've gone to church for a long time or I've known God for a long time. And so if I, if I make a decision now, if I step forward now, what's going to happen is people are going to think something of me or they're going to think less of me because, well, I thought that person had it together. Can I just tell you the founder of the, the, the theology, the Wesleyan theology, the, the Methodist theology that we believe from John Wesley came from a man who had many moments of growth in his life. He was a man who grew up in a Christian home, a, a preacher's home. He, he was called to ministry. He studied in seminary. He was part of and started groups called holy clubs. They were small clubs where they would get together and they would, they would fast and they would pray and they would ask each other accountability questions. At one point, as he was called, he, was, he lived in England at the time, he was called, he, he, he came to, to Georgia, to Savannah, Georgia, to become a, a minister slash missionary there. And as he was there, he found over time that things weren't going to go the way that, that he had hoped they would go. And as he was there, things didn't work out. He, he decided he was going to leave and, and head back to England. And as things didn't work out, even there, he didn't work out with his relationship with a, with a young lady. He was failed and he was discouraged. And on his way back, there was a storm on the boat. And he was, he was panicking. He, he didn't know what to do. And while he was there, the Moravians that were there, they were, they were on the same boat and they were showing through their heart, through their actions. They weren't fearful because of who God was. And as he drew that in and learned from them and drew in more scripture, he was discouraged. He was empty. And on May 24th, 1738, he reluctantly attended a meeting at Altersgate and someone read from Luther's preface to the epistles of Romans. This wasn't even the actual book. This was just a preface moving into it at 845. And it reads like this. This was his words, his quote. While he was there describing the, the, the change with God's work in, in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. 
I felt I did trust in Christ. Christ alone for salvation and assurance was given to me. And then he'd taken away my sins and even mine, he'd saved me from the law of sin and death. And it took him some time to learn how to live the life of faith for he was not always possessed of joy and thought and even fallen from salvation. He didn't always feel it. But he recognized as he moved forward that it took time to see that it was not Christ and good works. It was not Christ and, but it was Christ and then resulting in good works. He wasn't perfect at this point, but what he was was surrendered. What he did was he put down the superiority that he'd been carrying around for so long. And he said, God, whatever it is that's standing in the way of you and me, I don't want it anymore because I recognize I keep going down into this cave only to be disappointed again. I want to come out and I want to live with you. Do you want to know how to become filled with awe and praise of God? You give him your all. You turn in every part of what you have, everything that you are, towards him. You give it all up, every bit. The negative thoughts of life, the gossip, the slander, the worry, the fear, the agenda you have. You give up all your time, your talent, your treasure. You give up that relationship. Whatever it is that you're holding on to, you surrender it now. I'm reading through the one-year Bible with my wife, and sometimes the reflective points at the end of each reading are just as, as, as uh, uh, convicting and encouraging as the passage. And this one from, from Mark chapter 7 reads like this, Even earnest Christians must guard against hypocrisy. It's easy to talk about surrendering our lives to the Lord and then live with various degrees of self-will or to claim to follow Jesus but withhold mercy towards someone to whom we, he would show mercy. Of course, there's a difference between common shortcomings and blatant rebellion. God knows that we all have our own weakness. But when our mouths consistently say one thing and our lives consistently say another, we have a problem. The Bible expresses compassion for us and our weakness as we cry out to the Lord for greater strength. But it pronounces a scathing rebuke for hypocrisy and rebellion. We need to discern the difference check our hearts frequently and live wholeheartedly for God. Here's the encouragement I have for us today. We're going to conclude in a time of song and response. And the encouragement I have is whatever it is in the pit of your heart, in the pit of your spirit, where the Holy Spirit is saying to you, hey, here's something that you've been holding on to. Here's something that you've allowed to become divisive in your marriage or in your life or in the church. Here's something that you have been trying to control in your life. Here's, here's what I want to encourage you to as, as your brother in Christ and as your pastors to come forward to kneel at an altar and just leave it there. Just leave it at the altar and allow God to move and to work and to show you his fullness and his goodness when you finally let go of whatever it is that you've been holding on to. And here's the reality of it. It's your choice. God has given you free will. He loves you so much. And he didn't create it. He's a robot to try to, 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 to control you. But he's given you the opportunity to say yes to him. Or no, if that's your choice. My prayer is you say yes. My prayer is you lay it down. My prayer is that you step forward and you say, God, whatever it is you want for me, whatever it is you want to do in me, I am open I say yes. 
Would you stand with me as I pray? And then we're going to move into a time of song. And I encourage you, as I said, to respond as you feel led. Father, we thank you for what you're doing. We thank you for the fact that you haven't given up on us. You haven't turned your back on us, but instead you still stand there with open arms. May we even see that today. May we reflect upon that and and recognize, God, that you are there with open arms ready to receive us as soon as we say yes to you, as soon as we say no to the things of this world and the things we've been holding on to. Maybe it's even something good, but we've been elevating it before you. May we lay down superiority and may we run wholeheartedly towards you. God, I think about the, the reflection of the, of the son, the prodigal son who returns to his father and the fact that the father doesn't even just wait there in the house in this safe place, but he runs towards the son, just like your son, Jesus, came into this world. He ran towards us. And even now your spirit will receive us should we respond in you. God, I pray that you would bless, that you would lead, that you would guide. I pray that you would convict here today. May we be encouraged by your goodness, by your call. May we leave differently because of your power. Transform us today. Transform our hearts. Bring unity today. Break chains today, God. Bring forth your will in this moment, in this day. May we surrender superiority in your midst. In your son's name we pray. Amen. As we sing, please respond. Please respond as the Lord leads. This is your moment. Thank you again for spending time with us today. Thank you especially to those of you who give to CCWC. It is through your faithfulness that makes this ministry possible. Also, if you have any questions about today's teaching or if you want to learn more about CCWC, feel free to contact our office, check the web, or follow us on our social media platforms. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we do encourage you to take a moment to subscribe and share it with friends. Let this be a blessing to someone else that you love in your life. You're always welcome to join us on Sunday morning for worship, or until then, we'll catch you on the next one. God bless.